Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Two weeks ago, we talked about being strapped. We talked about um, the importance of being out of debt, that debt can hold you back. Proverbs 22 tells that the, the, the lender is a, sorry, the, the borrower is a slave or the servant to the lender. And that means you're then strapped, you're limited, you're restricted if you're in debt. If you owe money to someone else, actually, could they control you? And we said that we serve God, not money. And money serves us. That's how we look at it. We say we're strapped. No, we're not. God is the one we look to. And our relationship is always God first, and then money is second. Money serves us. It's a thing we use to do what we need to do. That was the first week. And I know some people here might be feeling like, oh, that, that's me. I'm, I'm struggling. I'm financially. Uh, things are tight. I know that in this room right now, there'll be people who will be feeling like times are tough. Financially, seriously, Sim, now is not a good time to have this conversation. There'll be others of you that money's okay. You, you, you know, what comes in goes out, but it works. If there's a small hiccup, we're in trouble, but it's okay up to now. And there are others who are in place of surplus. You know, maybe you're in a place where you've got more than you need right now. There'll be all those people sitting in this room right now and we're going to talk about these really important topic of money. So that was our first week around debt and around being strapped. The second week we talked about being act your wage. And last week we said that, you know, the earth is the Lord, Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything, everything is his. And we get to look after a piece of it. We all get a piece of it. Whether you're a five-talent guy, a two-talent guy, or one-talent, you've all been given a piece. You've all been given something. What are you going to do with what you've got? What are you going to do with what you've been given? Whether you've been given a lot or little, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to manage it? How are you going to steward it? How are you going to invest it to ensure that when that time comes and God says, what do you do with what I gave you? You've got a great response ready. It's never the amount. It's always the attitude. So that's what we looked at the first two weeks. And uh, let's make sure we're following those kind of ideas. If you have any sort of questions, uh, last week we gave out some budget planners through the CAP Money course that Brevin runs. If you want some support or help with any of these things, do speak to uh, friends that you came with or connect group leaders. We'd love to support you. Uh, whether you've got, you're struggling financially or you've got so much money you don't know what to do with it, come and see us. We'd love to help you either way. Absolutely. Here we go. So what does it mean to be generous this week? What are we going to talk about is about generosity. How do we give to live? How do we give to live? I, I, Lottie and I have experienced the receipt of generosity on so many occasions. I could spend hours telling you about times where God has blessed us. I have experienced and I have stepped into a life of receiving God's generosity, often through people. That's how it tends to happen, through other people. And hopefully we've been able to reciprocate that to others who are be generous with things that we have got. And it's not always about money. Someone's generosity is about acts of service. It's about our time. It's about all kinds of things. I, know, I remember a few years ago, one story for you, we um, took our children to Disneyland in Paris, which was a real special treat. They were a bit younger then. I'm not sure my 19-year-old son would be so enamored by the idea of going to Disneyland in Paris right now. But we went to Disneyland. There's a whole story about how we got there. We got to this place. We had this great experience. And I remember when we went home from that great trip. It was May half term, actually, three years ago now, probably. I said to all my children, I said, I hope you enjoyed it. Because we're probably never going to go to Florida for the real one. I said those words. I said, you know, enjoy the, the, the Paris, the pretend version of the real thing. Because the chance of us ever going to America is just not, like six of us. I mean, come on, it ain't happening. 
So later that year, in the October time, we are at a leaders' conference, Lottie and I, and we are having breakfast with all these various leaders from different churches around the country. And we're on these big round tables, and the other side of the table, for some reason, we're not sitting together. And I see my wife, Lottie, in conversation with a couple of friends of ours. And she's talking to them, and suddenly I see she's in tears at breakfast. I mean, the breakfast was pretty good, but she was in tears. I'm thinking, what has just happened? What is going on? And you know, as a husband, you're like, oh, dear, I feel really uncomfortable. Do I get up? Do I, you know, men are just so awkward, aren't we? We're like, I don't, I don't, do I put a hug? It's like going, what's happening? Is this good crying? Is this bad crying? Is it me? Have I done something? All those things are going through. I mean, how bad am I? I'm so guilty. And, and anyway, eventually, Lottie says, you know, I've just been speaking to these lovely people. And she said, they've said we can have their holiday home. And they will give it to us for two weeks, free, for a holiday for a family. And she's in tears. At this point, I'm in tears. Because she doesn't know where the holiday home is. I do. It's not in the New Forest. It's in Florida. And I go, that's a wonderful, I'm so pleased. Now, in my head, it's going, plane tickets, cost of living, I'm going to get there, pay for everything. She's just excited, because we're going on holiday together. And I'm like, going, how are we going to make that work? You know, God's provision is amazing. We, we said, thank you, we accept that holiday, and we received enough money to pay for everything on that holiday from various, we had donations in dollars through our door, we had families and friends giving us amounts of money. We went to Florida as a family. We ate out every single day. We went on all the rides, on all the stuff. Definitely recommend Universal Studios. Amazing experience. God provided. An incredible, and I, I generally, at the beginning, I went, we'll never have that experience. Be careful what you say to your children. It might come back and bite. God is a generous God. God is an incredible God. He does things beyond what we expect him to do. And I say that to you because not to sort of boast. Well, in some ways, I do want to boast. I want to say God's goodness has always been more. Always been more. God is the God whose money never runs out. His provision never runs out. God is a generous God. I want to just remind ourselves of a story in 2 Kings 4. In 2 Kings 4, there's this moment, a guy called Elisha. Elisha is a prophet. He was a follower of Elijah, a, a, a prophet that we're going to be looking at later on this year. He's our Bible character for the year. And um, Elisha, in this story here, comes across a lady who's a widow. And in, in the time, Bible times, if you were a widow, you had no way to provide for yourself. You were always reliant upon the person you married to or upon your family. And she was a widow. Her husband had died, and she had two children. And Elisha rocks up in town, and uh, she is desperate. She's in debt. She's about to be evicted from our home. And Elisha turns up, and he says this, What can I do to help you? Tell me, what have you got in your house? What have you got? And she said, All I have is a flask of olive oil. Nothing else, just a flask of olive oil. And then Elijah says this, he says, well, go around to all your neighbors' houses, knock on their doors, wake them up, and get every single jar and, you and you, you know, container you can find and bring it back into the house. So her and her two sons, they go out, they grab all these buckets and containers and vases, whatever, and they bring them into the home. And then Elijah says, Elisha says this, he says this, um, shut the door and, uh, behind you, then pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. Some sort of crazy chemistry lab type of image comes to mind. And they're filling these jars, and she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There isn't any more. Listen to this. And then the olive oil 
stopped flowing. And then, when everything was full, the olive oil stopped flowing. And Elisha says to her, go sell the oil of olive oil, pay off your debts, and then you can live off the rest. Now, when I read that story, I always think to myself, I wonder if there were more pots they could have gathered. I wonder if there were a few houses they didn't knock on someone's door because they were a bit embarrassed to ask. Or maybe they were a bit afraid of what the response might be. Or maybe they asked somebody for a pot, but they could have asked for more pots. They said, can I have just whatever, whatever's nearest? I don't want to bother you. Sorry to be a nuisance. And the, and the story says that every single container was filled up to the brim until they ran out of containers. See, because God's provision never runs out. Our ability to utilize that generosity sometimes brings that to an end. And I'm absolutely, I'm, I fully believe that when it comes to God and his giving heart, his generosity never ends. We are the conduit of God's generosity. We are the connecting link between what he has and where the need is. And sometimes we're the ones who go, you know what, that's enough. I'm now uncomfortable with the blessing you're providing. I'm now, I'm now a bit embarrassed. I'm a bit awkward about this. Could you stop with the generous giving? And we, we say, actually, we've filled all the pots and the oil stops flowing. And I want to talk today about giving and about the importance of giving because we have a God who loves to give. I don't know if you would sit, can class yourself as a generous person. Have you ever given somebody your time when you're late for an appointment? When you need to be somewhere else, but you know someone else needs your time more than the thing you have to get to. Have you ever been generous, not just with your time, but with your service, where you help somebody in need? Or generous with the resources, things and stuff that you have, and you've been open-handed, and you said, yes, borrow that. And in the back of your mind, everything in you say, they're going to break it, they're going to bring it back, and it won't be quite the same as how I gave it to them. But you give generously anyway. You see, generosity is not just about money. I know we're focusing on money matters, but generosity is a heart, it's a principle, it's a value that is so close to God himself. He is a giving God. And I wonder if you've ever given to somebody and they've not given something back in return. That's generosity. I believe I've put a little thing here. Extravagant generosity is giving something you can't afford knowing you'll get nothing in return. Giving somebody something you know you can afford is like tipping. Giving something you cannot afford knowing there is no way this person or this situation will ever give you anything back, that's extravagant generosity. That's what God does. God gives us something he couldn't afford. He sent his son Jesus. He gave his sacrifice of his son Jesus to take our place, knowing there was a really good chance he would get nothing back. He would have his people turn their backs to him, even though he'd given everything. God is revealed in his generosity more than just finance. God's generous in his love, in his service, in his resources, and yes, in our financial support. Ecclesiastes 11 says this, says, be generous, invest in acts of charity. Charity yields high returns. Verse 2, don't hoard your goods, spread them around, be a blessing to others. It's pretty clear, isn't it? Yeah? Apparently people say money is like horse manure. It smells unless it's spread around lots of areas. 
need to make sure we're spreading our money, doing good with what we've been given. Don't hoard your goods. Spread them around. Be a blessing to others. So God is generous. God is a giver. God is a giver. First thing I want to say this morning, God is a giver. Throughout Scripture, right from the word go in Genesis, God is an extravagant giving God. God is a God who created the heavens and the earth in an outrageous way. He created plants that I've never heard of, animals we've never seen. He's created jungles we've never explored. God's created depth of sea with creatures that live within it we don't really know anything about. God's an extravagant, giving, generous God. And throughout the Bible, if we go through it, you'll see time and time again that God has a heart of generosity. God is a giver. In fact, I think God loves to show off about his giving ability. We, we talked last week about Mark chapter 6 and the feeding of the 5,000. In fact, it wasn't 5,000. It was 5,000 men and their wives and their children. 15, 20,000 people. At one level, when you've only got a packed lunch, the numbers don't really matter, do they? But the boy gives the packed lunch. Jesus takes it, blesses, breaks it. And then it's only in the hands of the disciples that the, that the bread gets multiplied. Imagine that moment. I always think it's fast that moment. When you give these five loaves and two fish to Jesus and he breaks them in half and there's 12 disciples. Just work out the maths there. That's like half a loaf each. And, and you have this half a loaf and you've got everyone seated in, in, in 50s and 100s. And you've been tasked to turn this half a loaf. Imagine that moment of going to that first person. Don't, don't, don't take too much. <laughs> Would you take a little bite before you got there? I don't know. Imagine that moment where you're... But nothing would happen. See, this is how it works. God gives us so much, but it's only in our hands that God turns what he provides us with into multiplication. We have a responsibility to take which we're given and to be generous with it. And in that story, which we haven't got time to go into this morning, but there were 12 baskets left over. That's God showing off. Every single person is fed. They are full and he goes, you know what, I've got more. Little extra doggy bags for all the, for the, you know, the, the disciples to take home with them for later on in the day. I don't know. But they've got these 12 baskets left over. More than enough. God, why would you do that? Why can you just provide exactly the right amount? God, that's a bit wasteful. I think it's God saying, I've got plenty. I've got more than you need. I've got more where that came from. Or in the story in John 21, Jesus come back, he's, he's died on the cross, he's risen back to life again, and he's there on the side of the beach, the disciples are out fishing, and Jesus welcomes them back after a night of fishing, and he shouts out, how are you doing? And these guys are professional fishermen, they go, we've got nothing, we've been out all night, this is why I don't get fishing as a sport, they've been out all night and got nothing, and there's always that chance, isn't there? Always that... Some of you are fishing widows around here understand this, this challenge. You go fishing, you get nothing. Why did you do that all night? And they, Jesus said, what have you got? Nothing. So Jesus, who was taught to build tables and chairs as a carpenter growing up, said to these professional fishermen, why don't you throw it on the other side of the boat? And there's that moment where they're going, Jesus, what, what does he know? He's got no idea. We've been out all night. We are professionals. We've done this for years. But what do they do? Is, well, you know what? He, he did come back to life. He might have a thing or two to show us. They throw this net to the other side. And the Bible tells us the net is bursting. It's overflowing. They need to get another, another boat to come and share the catch. Because there's so much, they don't know what to do with it. They don't know what to do. Why? Because that's the God of more than enough. That's the God of surplus. That's the God of almost, we might, oh, it's a bit excessive. That's our God. 
He's a generous God. God is a giver. James 1 says, God gives generously to all without finding fault. Now there he's talking about wisdom. James is saying God gives wisdom generously without fault. But you know what? The principle is exactly the same. God loves to give. God doesn't look at us and go, I don't think you'll make it. I don't think you'll have, you'll be no good if I give you something. No, he goes, I will look at you and go, how much can I give you? But I'll give you something. Even the servant, the story of the talents, one of them gets one talent. But everyone gets something. Everyone has an amount. God doesn't overlook you. God is a giving God. He's a giver. He gave his son, Jesus Christ. And he asks us to be givers as well. Are you a giver? Are you a giver this morning? Giving is about attitude. It's a matter of the heart. See, as we give, we express love. As we give, we reflect the giving God. As we give to those in need, we share his heart and love and concern for others. And I want to encourage us today as Freedom Church, we need to practice the muscle of giving. It's not that you don't give or you're not willing to give. It's like something I think we need to build it into our lives as a habit. Are we givers or are we takers? Are we the people that walk into him saying, can I give into the situation? Can I help? And it's not, this is not a financial message. This is about a, a heart message. Am I prepared to give? What is the need? Can I provide something into that? Can I help there? Can I participate? Can I bring something? We need to practice giving, practice the habit of giving, systematic giving, being generous not just in a spontaneous but also planned. I've met many people who want to be generous but are unable to be because they have nothing to be generous with. Are you ready to be planned and organized to get yourself ready so when the moment comes, you're there ready. I've got the money to give. I've got the ability to give. I have the time to give. I have the energy to give. Or are you always so limited, so struggling, so strapped, so, so busy in life? I've got no time to give. I've got no energy to give. I've got no finances to give. Do you know how difficult it is to manage just getting through life? Let's find some excess in our lives. Let's find some spare space so we are in a position to give. So number one, God is a giver. I want to then talk about how we give. How do you and I give? Because if we're meant to be givers that reflect God, how does that work? What are we really talking about? And so I want to just take us through two aspects of giving. That as followers of Christ, I believe two responsibilities about how do we give to the church and how do we give to others? How do we give to the church and how do we give to others? Now, this is one of those hot potatoes that nobody ever wants a topic to talk about. It's a topic that people go, really? Do we have to have this one? We know, Sim, your car just needs replacing. I get the conversation. Maybe that's what you're thinking. That's what I'm thinking. I find these conversations uncomfortable because I get paid a salary from the church. That therefore there's an assumption that that the church leaders talk about money because they want something out of it. The truth is, I know that followers of Christ that understand the principle of giving will flourish as a follower of Christ. I know this is the best for you as members of Freedom Church to understand what giving is all about. It will change your mindset of, of and thinking if you learn about giving. And it's something that's so important to me and to us, Lottie and I, I do this regularly, that I want you to share that even though I find it an uncomfortable topic. Is that okay to say that? Get out of the way. 
So here we go. I'm going to do a little bit of biblical comparative study here. This will please some of you and bore the rest of you. Anyway, I love Freedom Church. I love being part of the local church. I think the church is fantastic. We talked about that earlier in the year. We talked about the importance of being part of a local church. But we need to have a passion for the whole of God's house, not just a part of it. I know that some of you, you know, the building funds, you're like, yes, we can't wait to have a building so all the seats can be left out ready for me on a Sunday morning. That's what you're thinking. A building fund. Others will be sitting going, I just want to give towards CAP and Food Bank and the mission of the church. That's great. And others are going, well, we need to make sure we look after the team that run the church and serve the church and communicate the vision of the church. Those three things are all important part of church life. We mustn't just give to a part, we give to the whole. And we need to gain a, a passion for the house of God, for the whole of that. And so I want to make sure we're not just giving to one aspect, we're giving to the whole. So when you look into the Old Testament, which is like the first two-thirds of your Bible, and there's this kind of break in between, the Old Testament says lots of things around giving to the church. It's very clear. There's lots of law, lots of rules, lots of systems about giving. And I'm going to whiz through these now. All right, right from the beginning of Genesis, you've got there where creation is, all the way through to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then the people of Israel, and escaping out of Egypt, and find the promised land, and you know, Moses and Joshua, all the way up to the prophets. All of that stuff there in the Old Testament, what's known as the law, you have all these different rules about giving when it comes to the church. And this is where we get a little bit hung up, but let me run through these. I know I'm rushing. I know I'm throwing lots of stuff out there. If you want to take this apart, make a note of all those references. There's loads more we can go through. But for this morning, I just want to kind of highlight a few things. So here are six things that the Old Testament talks about when it comes to giving. Number one, tithe. This is the the 10%, the giving of 10% of your income. This is a, a tradition that was set up in the time of the people of Israel. There was the 12 tribes, and one of those tribes, the Levite tribe, they were responsible for the temple, for the tabernacle, the original tent of the church sort of version in those days. They would look after it, and the 11 other tribes, they would bring a tithe, whether that be 10% of their harvest, or of their, of their um, livestock, or of their finance. They'd bring that into the house. They would give it a bit messy, I think, some of it, when I look at some of the scripture. They'd bring their tithe into the storehouse, as Malachi refers to it. And so the idea of bringing 10% of your income, of your crop, of whatever you had, you would bring it and you would look after this Levitical group, the priests of that day. But then they didn't just stop there. They didn't just stop at a 10% offering towards the work of the church. They also had this thing called arms of the poor. The arms of the poor in Deuteronomy 15, this is all about um, making sure you're giving generously to the poor on top of your 10% tithe. This was extra too. This was being people that actually had a, a giving mentality. God wanted his people to reflect him. And so they set up this idea of, being, of having arms of the poor. Uh, Deuteronomy 15, giving generously to the poor without grudging heart and knowing that God will bless everything you put your hand to. They would give to the poor and say, God, if I give to the poor, would you bless what I am doing with my work? And so you have these arms to the poor, you'd have your tithe to the uh, priests, and then you'd have your building fund. They called it a temple tax. The temple tax was a box by the front of the door. And uh, Moses said to all the people of Israel, said, you need to bring every year two days of salary in the box. And there was like a, kind of a, an agreed system. And this was for the fabric and upkeep of the facility. 
This was the building fund. This was the stuff you brought money to. This is on top of the tithe. You had your 10% tithe. You had your giving to the poor, which they recommend would be about the same sort of number. And then you'd have your, you'd have your temple tax on top of that. How are we all doing so far? Yeah, they did generosity on a big scale. They didn't just stop there. Then they said this, your first fruits, the first of your crop, you should bring all of that. You should bless God with the first harvest. And it's, like, it's almost like when you get that, that, that new job or the salary increase and going, this is the first. I didn't have it last month or last year. I now have something. What am I gonna, before I get used to living with this new resource I've been given, what am I going to do with it? How am I going to give it? And that's what happened there. The first fruits, they would bring those in. And so there's a principle from Leviticus 23, but also Proverbs 3 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and first fruits. Then your barn will be filled with plenty. And so you've got all this idea. You've got the tithe, you've got the arms, temple tax, the first fruits. Everyone okay so far? This is the old system. Don't worry. This is, this is, this is the law. This is the old system. This is like pff, how they used to do it. It's crazy back then. All right. Then there's this thing called gleaning. Gleaning was this. If you were a landowner, you would not take all your harvest. You would deliberately leave the edges of the field... And you'd leave the fruit or you'd leave the crops and you would invite the local poor people to come and help themselves to your hard-earned harvest. That's what they would do. You see in the story of Ruth and Boaz when Boaz allowed Ruth to come and glean behind all the harvesters. It's a bit like a supermarket today rather than throwing away all the end of stock, putting it outside on a shelf with a sign saying, please help yourself. Imagine that. That is what they did as, as a rule. That was a system that everybody did. If you were a landowner or a farmer, you would leave room for gleaning around the edge of your field or your vineyard. And then lastly, in, in Deuteronomy 14, and I know I'm whizzing through this, the needy, the widows, the orphans, the foreigners. Deuteronomy 14 says, on top of your tithe, bring a portion of your harvest into the town center that the foreigners, the widows, and the orphans will be able to eat. Not only do you give a tithe to the priest, not only do you give alms to the poor, not only do you give a temple tax to the building, not only do you give first fruits when you have a, a new kind of you know, provision, not only do you glean to help the poor, you also provide for the needy in your community. That was the Old Testament rule. These were rules, these were systems, these were agreed things. And I know you're thinking, I'm glad I don't live back then. That sounds like really expensive, doesn't it? The good thing is, people, the good thing is, that's just the first two-thirds. Then we have the last bit, the New Testament. Jesus comes, and he abolishes the law, doesn't he? No, he doesn't. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. I came to get the principle of those rules and make them real through today so that everybody can understand the God we're trying to represent. So in the New Testament, Jesus grabs a whole bunch of that stuff, and he points at it, and he says these things. Number one, the tithe. Jesus has some pretty strong things to say about the tithe. In Matthew 23, he turns to the religious leads of the day, the rulers of the day, the Pharisees, and he says, look, you have absolutely nailed your tithe. You've done a great job. You have given exactly 10% to the decimal point when it comes to the issue of tithe. You've given your mint and your cumin. Look it up if you want to. Your stuff that you've produced, your harvest. And you've done exactly, you've weighed it out and you've brought 10%. But then he goes, but you've forgotten the most important thing. You've forgotten about mercy 
and faithfulness and justice. When you've got so sucked into the rules, you've forgotten the heart behind the rules, the principle of giving. The principle of giving is never about just fulfilling the system and ticking the box. It's about having a heart after the God who was the giver in the first place. And so you have this idea of tithing. And, and Jesus then says in 2 Corinthians 9, I love a cheerful giver. Not someone who gives because they have to, because they've been forced to, manipulated to. I didn't want to take up our offering for a building fund after I'd spoken about giving, because that's an easy win. That's kind of the, what a lot of my friends would say, oh yeah, that you should do that after you've done a talk on giving. I want this to be a church where we give because we want to give, not because someone forced you or made you feel like you had to give. This is something between you and God. So the tithe, Matthew 23. Arms, we can talk about this for ages. I know time is against us. Um, in uh, Arms to the Poor, the rich young ruler, Mark chapter 10, comes to Jesus and said, I've done everything. The rule tells me I have to do that. I've fulfilled the law. Now what? And Jesus said, sell everything. Give it all to the poor. 100%. Give it all away. And the rich young man goes, can't do that. And he walks away. Or in Mark chapter 10, um, where Jesus says to someone, he says, if you've got two coats, give one away. If you've got enough to wear, then what are you doing with more than you need? Give it away. I make that 50%. Oh, this is getting a bit tricky. Temple tax. Jesus pointed out to the, the lady, the widow that came into the temple in, in Luke 21, and she comes with her two coins, and she quietly and surreptitiously puts her money in the box on the outside of the temple. She says nothing, but Jesus points and says to his followers, says, see that lady there? She's given more than all the people who've walked in, strutting in with their big bags of money, showing everyone how generous they are. They're not generous at all. Because her attitude, she gave everything. It cost her. Whereas those with plenty, it didn't really cost them at all. They were just using it as a, as a, a marketing campaign of their generosity. Temple tax. Well, the New Testament, the first fruits, what did he say in Matthew 6? Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Don't worry about other stuff. Don't worry about money and finances. Seek first me and my kingdom, and all these things will be added unto you. Give me your first thoughts, not your first fruits. Give me everything of your first, your first bit of the day, your, your first bit of who you are, not just your first fruits on odd occasions. And then in Mark 14, you've got the story there of the lady who comes and breaks open her uh, 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 perfume all over Jesus' feet, and she pours it out, and one of the disciples says, Jesus, that's a real waste. You know, we could have used that money for the poor. And Jesus said, you'll always have the poor with you. You're always going to have the poor. What are you going to do to look after them? You'll always have them. Or Galatians 2, uh, when the writer there says, you know, remember about the importance of the poor. Make sure we're caring for those in need. Remember the poor. That we must never stop allowing space for those in need. I'm glad we're involved with a food bank here in Romsey. There is so much more we need to do. It's a good start. And then lastly, around the area of needy, James 2 says this. James 2 says, what good is it if you have faith? but no works. What good is it if someone comes to you in need and you say, oh yes, I'll, I'll pray for you. We need to provide for those in need. We need to look after the widows, the orphans. We need to look after those who are foreigners, who are new to our community. We need to make sure we're caring for others. We see, when you look at Old Testament law and New Testament principle, one fulfills the other. 
The law can sound restrictive and systematic and uncomfortable. And Jesus isn't saying, you know what, let's forget the Old Testament. We've got a fresh new way of looking at things. He's like going, no, I want that as a foundation because behind those laws is a value of who God is that we can sometimes forget. And he's not calling us to fulfill a law. He's calling us to reflect a giver. God is a giver and we need to be givers as well. Whatever it is you feel called to give. And whenever people come and they say to me, oh, well, I don't do tithing, I don't do giving to the church because that's an Old Testament principle. I have this conversation and we talk about 100% and 50%. It's amazing how many people say, actually, I'm, I'm, I'll go back to the 10%. I think I'll live with that one. Can I encourage you to be generous giving? 10% is a great starting point. It's not a great finishing point. It's a platform to being generous with our offering. Not just our finances, but with our time, with our service, with our actions. I want, I want Freedom Church to be a generous giving church. I know people will be sitting here going, but I, I have nothing to give. I don't have an ability to give. I don't have an amount to give. The other story I tend to use is um, my brother-in-law used to do loads of trips to Rwanda. And those of you who've ever traveled to um, African nations, they do their offerings very differently to we do. They're often a lot louder. They're often a lot noisier. They're a lot more energy. And various items get brought, not just money. And a particular lady in this church that my brother-in-law was visiting, um, this lady had nothing. She had nothing. But what she would do every single mealtime is she would get a cup of rice for each one of her family members, and she'd make a meal. And then she'd take an extra cup of rice out of the bag, and she'd put it into a separate container. Every mealtime, every day, she'd take one cup of rice, she'd put it into this bag. And then when it came to the offering on a Sunday, she would bring the bag of rice, which was all she had, and the amount she'd taken from her meal each time, and she would bring that as her offering. And I love that story, because it goes... We've all got something to give. We all live off something. We all have an ability to use what we have. How are we going to do it? How are we going to give and be generous in our giving? I know it's a challenge, but I've set that out to you to consider through. How can we give? Even if you're sitting here today and you think, oh, I'm, I'm on a cap program, even with our cap budgets, you're given an amount that you live off. How are you going to give from what you've been given to live off? I remember a few years ago, a friend of mine who was involved in leading a very large church at that time, he sat me down in one of those awkward conversations in a coffee shop. And he said, Sim, have you ever challenged anybody about their giving to the work of the church? And I went, don't, don't be silly. No one wants to do that. That's an awkward conversation. I remember that, you know that moment someone's asking really honest questions. And I'm a sort of, I was blustering away. I was going, oh, really? that'd be terrible. We just don't do that. And he made these three comments to me that I've never forgotten. He said, you know, if someone's not giving towards the work of the church, maybe that's because they're, they're, in past, they're in financial need. Maybe they're struggling financially. And maybe it's really useful if you went to go see them and ask them how they're doing, because actually you might find there's some, there's some problems there that you could really help with. I thought, oh, yeah, good, good point, okay. Secondly, he said, you know, what if the reason they're not giving is because they don't agree with what you're doing as a church? They're not connected in. They don't believe in the building program. They don't believe in the future of Freedom Church. Maybe they're not buying in because they don't believe in what you're doing. In that case, you need to have a conversation with them because it's not good for them to be part of something they don't agree with. And maybe you need to release them to go find a better home for them to be based in where they can fully get behind the vision of that church. Oh, yeah, okay, good point. The third thing for me is the absolute killer. This is the one. He said the third reason, he said, if you're not asking people why they're not giving, then they don't understand the blessing about giving. And you, you are doing them a disservice 
by not giving the opportunity to give and, in, in, and enjoy the blessing of giving. And that really got me. And I was like, you know what? I, I have not done our church a service by not wanting to know. And so what, what we do now in the church is to let you know, being transparent, is I don't know who gives what. I don't know how much everyone, everyone gives. But Simon, who at the moment at the moment is our business manager, does all our finances, he gives him a report of who is giving. He gave me one literally last Wednesday. I got a report of who is giving and starting to give to the church. Because I think it's important I know who is giving, if and if I don't know how much. And so I'll write a thank you to those people and appreciate their giving because I want to make sure that we're a church that are all giving in some way. I don't care if it's 50p. That's between you and God. All right? Uh, My responsibility is to make sure that I'm leading this church well and asking the right questions. And I want us all to be giving towards the work of Freedom Church according to what you can bring. But I want to just be really clear and transparent. I want to make sure that we are generous church. So that said, number three, last point here I want to say is this. Number three, we want to be people that give not just to the church, but to the community we're here to serve, that we give to others. I don't know if you've ever heard that expression, leave it all on the pitch. You ever heard that? When you, when you watch a, a sporting event and the, the commentator says they've left it all on the pitch. They've expended themselves in the service for their team in helping others. And I wanted to say to us as, as people who are living in this place to make sure that we are giving and that we are fully giving out everything we can while we're here on earth. That we leave it all on the pitch. There is so much need around us and we have a responsibility to do everything we can while we're here serving the needs of those around us. That's what we're called to do. We're not called to store up here on earth. We're called to store up in our treasures in heaven. And let's make sure we're giving everything we can to give all that we can, to leave it all on the pitch, to give our love, to give our service, to give our resources, to give our finances, so that we know we've done everything we can in the time we've got here on earth to be able to give to those around us. We can't take anything with us. We can't take anything with us. We often read that line at a funeral. You know, we we came with nothing, we go with nothing. Absolutely right. Let's leave it all on the pitch. Let's make sure we do what we can. Let's be an outrageously generous church. I believe the church is called to be the most generous movement in the world because we follow the most generous God. And we want to reflect him. Proverbs 19 there, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay them for his deed. Let's be generous to the poor. Let's be helpful to those out there. You see, the thing is, I mentioned earlier, that God has all the supplies. God has everything we need. He has more than enough. And we're serving a world where there's plenty of need. And we stand in between the two. We have a connection to the God of more than enough. And all around us, we see need. And we stand in the middle. What are we going to do in that situation? How are we going to take all that God has got? How are we going to make sure there's plenty of containers so the oil doesn't stop flowing? Do we make sure there's plenty of space for God's generosity, generosity to, to be a blessing to those around us? How do we make sure that we are givers and we serve a giving God? I want us to be generous. Not just us as a church, but us as individuals. I want to be a generous person. 
Not just towards our building fund, not just towards the work of the church. I want to be generous towards the poor, the needy, those on the food bank, those benefiting from CAP. I want to look after all the people in our community that we possibly can with all that God has given to us. Those who have lost family, lost friends, lost relationships, lost their purpose in life, we can go, we can help you because we're reflecting a generous God. We can express God's love. You know, we can't outgive God. We can't outlove God. God. We can't outserve God. He's got more than we ever can give or ever can use or ever can love or ever can express. But that's our resource. We, we, we give out of an abundance of knowing our Father God has more than we can ever understand. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.